You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. Well, welcome to this week's Momentum. It is uh, Tim and Dave's with you once again. And wherever you are around Australia, we really, really, really appreciate you tuning in. MomentumAustralia.org is our website. Hey, Dave, how are you doing this week? You good? Doing good, man. Always doing good. Yeah, it's, um, it's just great to get to do this. Uh, if you'd like to check out previous episodes of Momentum, you can do that at the website, MomentumAustralia.org. In fact, uh, we had this gentleman on the show last year, Dave, and yeah. had some great conversations yeah. and super excited to have Jonathan Doyle back with us on Momentum. Jonathan, great to have you back, man. And thanks for sharing some time with us today. So good to be back with you both, guys. Really looking forward to it. Uh, great to have you know some time to to chat last time, and hoping that again we can really bring something useful to everybody listening. So, for those who don't know Jonathan's backstory, Jonathan has been in a previous life an international speaker, author. He's been an executive coach. He's spoken all around the world to hundreds of thousands of different people. But he's had to pivot uh, during uh, you know with the last couple of years. Um, we, we don't necessarily need to touch on that, Jonathan, but I mean, the times that I've spoken to you, uh, what you've brought into my life and the wisdom that you've shared has been huge and profound and you a deep think you sit a lot in this space. And today we want to talk about this idea of confrontation or avoidance. And it comes from a Carl Rogers quote that I remember you did on your, your daily podcast. And Carl says this, growth occurs when individuals confront problems struggle to master them and through that struggle develop new aspects of their skills, capacities and views about life. I'm a big fan of Alfred Adler who who has a lot of stuff in a similar vein. Uh, you know, as I've said to you previously, Tim, we're, we're very much a culture of avoidance. Um, we're a culture that creates a huge number of opportunities for people to pursue distraction and comfort. So the idea that you would first identify an area that you need to grow in and then confront that and do the hard work, Hmm. you know, not exactly the most exciting and compelling thing to sell in this culture at the moment. But that said, there's some real outliers, you know, there's some people, uh, significant people in social media. I think of a guy like David Goggins, for example, who's developed a huge following by kind of going back into that space and going, you know, doing really hard things has a benefit, an inherent benefit. So it's a tough sell at this moment in history, uh, confronting difficult problems that we all face. Uh, there's, you know, as I've said, there's multiple layers of distraction available to us. And the only other thing I'd say is an intro thought is avoidance has always served an extremely useful benefit. So as a species, Avoidance had, you know, a, a lot of benefits for us. There were, it, it tended to be the people that avoided certain things tended to survive longer. <laughs> so there was a certain benefit to avoidance. So sometimes when we talk about avoiding difficulty, we can automatically assume that we should never, or you know, we, we shouldn't want to avoid things. Well, the fact is, we we we've kind of got a predisposition to avoid difficult stuff because hmm. you know, at, at the most basic level, our, our animal brain, our limbic system, is only ever going to be trying to do one single thing, and that's keep us comfortable and keep us alive. Hmm. So to go beyond that and to do difficult things is uh, is is really going to require something different of us. So, what do you think the value is in confrontation? Because if somebody's going to change their mindset from avoidance and confront things in their world, there must be a benefit. Right? So how would you define what that benefit is? Yeah, this is, look, I'd introduce, introduce a few key themes here. You know, Freud 
was enormously influential, right? Sigmund Freud, who uh, many people, of course, will be familiar with the name. Freud tended to boil down the entire human experience to two key forces, the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. Uh, I'd say that's what we call a bit of a reductionist model. It kind of strips out a lot of the beauty and magnificence of the human experience. But you get his basic point that we tend to do things because we're going to get some benefit or we avoid them because we want to get away from some pain. You go back much earlier than that. So my original postgrad work was in Greek philosophy and, you know, the Greeks had this very strong idea that humans had this capacity for excellence, that the human being was a particular kind of thing. It had something called perfectibility that we could get better. Yeah. So people might be listening to this thinking, oh, dude, this is a bit complex, but it, it's really important stuff. The way that the Greeks thought about this was really the bedrock of Western civilization, right? It's kind of this idea that we're a particular kind of thing that the human person can grow, can develop, can get better and can pursue what Aristotle called arete or excellence. So what's the benefit? The benefit is becoming the fullness of what we can become in this life. So everybody gets to make a decision. The the, the sad part is that most of us are not conscious of the decision itself. So we're not getting a second run at life. We're going to get one shot. And you can be, you, you kind of have the choice to become the fullness of what you could become or not. There was um, a, a beautiful young guy in uh, in Italy um, who was became a saint of the Catholic Church, a young guy, and um, Giorgio, what was his last name? I have to look it up. But he had this beautiful saying where he said, you know, that the only real suffering in life is not to become a saint. He said all other sufferings you can eventually work through and you can integrate into yourself. But he said the one thing that you can never change is not becoming fully who you are. So the benefit is not only to yourself in the sense that you'll become a fuller, more uh, enriched, alive, loving, you know, sensitized, alive human person. There's also obviously huge benefit for the people around you, right? Especially for dads and fathers. Like if dads and fathers just try and grow and develop. Yeah, that's great. That's generational stuff, right? That yes. stuff changes generations. Yes. Um, there'd be plenty of guys listening that have come from some pretty crazy stuff. Hmm. Doing the hard work on yourself is painful and unpleasant. But, you know, as I said before, Des, you know, my son's 13. And as I said in the previous interview, I didn't come from a very particularly good family background, but we've really been able to change that in this generation. Yeah. So, look, summary, we we – we become who we fully can be, and we really bless those around us. That's great. Can I just say, I, I love to sit in this space because I find it fascinating. And and I think partly because I'm putting myself in the picture for a second. I'm 48, and some would look at my life, and Des and I actually had this conversation at the weekend where I've looked at the last 20 years. I've worked in radio primarily, and I have felt to some degree like I've missed it, even though I felt like the Lord was in it and... I've spoken to thousands of people over that time and some of it's been wonderful, I'm sure, but I've struggled with feeling that I haven't yet fully reached my potential and I've, I kind of missed it. I, I failed in that area. Um, and at 48, what what's left? How do I ascertain what that looks like and how do we know where that limit is that we can hit? Like what what is our potential? How far can we keep going? But then also the other side of that to go, 
But what's wrong with a normal, in inverted commas, life? What's wrong with just accepting a simple life that gives my family a reasonable standard of living and everybody's happy and healthy? And, you know, how much do I push that to go, well, do I want to upset the apple cart or do I try and push for the best that I can be, not really knowing what that looks like? Just to answer you, Tim, I found mm. out saying, and it was, and I hate Santa's quote, I think he heard it somewhere, it's better to aim at perfection and miss than to aim at imperfection and hit. And hit it. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Look, Tim, as you were speaking, there's another beautiful quote from a, a philosopher, a scholastic philosopher called John Duns Scotus, which I've always loved. So in the 14th century, he said that, he said, every human comparison is essentially diabolical so the, the the translation of that means every human every way in which we compare ourselves to someone else is this is going to sound pretty blunt satanic right <laughs> all of us are created with a particular capacity and dna and ability yeah the amount of time that we spend comparing ourselves to those around us is kind of problematic. Now, I know some people will be listening going, but hang on, what if we benchmark ourselves against somebody else? What if we look at somebody and we get inspired and encouraged and we want to achieve something that they've achieved? Sure. Um, but you've still got to run your own race. Yes. You, you've still got to stay in your lane. Yes. So as you were talking to him, I was thinking of, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, the US, you know, multi-billion banker that you know mysteriously died in prison recently like you dig into that guy's life and it is it is really unpleasant now he had everything right he had access to everybody on the planet he had billions of dollars he had absolutely everything private jets private islands how many people would want to swap right Hmm. for us as men our culture is kind of predicated on you know obviously financial provision and financial success or other forms of success those things have their place but, I mean, you, you get miserable, right? Like the, the amount of time you spend thinking if I was just like X, you know, what did Oscar Wilde say? Um, you know, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Yes, that's right. It's such a, it's such a great line. Like, yeah. you know, I can't yeah. do Des. If I tried to do Des, everyone would be going, why are you trying to do Des? Like, You'd be going backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is kind of partnership, like, you know, f- for everyone that's a parent, I look at my kids, my, my kids are so different. I don't spend any time trying to make one of my kids like the other ones. Mm. And, the, mm. and the longer that they live and the longer that I have time with them, I just see these extraordinary, unique, you know, abilities and potentialities and gifts that each of them has. So I think God looks at us and goes, you know, it must drive him nuts looking at people going, I gave you these particular capacities and gifts and interests and talents and why are you trying to do something else? Like, why are you trying to be somebody else? We've got to stay in our lane. We've got to run our own race. We've got to work with the capacities that we have. Do you think that we just are too comfortable in many cases? You know, we, we have a lifestyle that we accept and we don't see a need to change or grow? There's this moment in history is, is truly unique. Yeah. You know, it, it, the, the the relative peace and stability that we've had since, you know, the end of the Second World War has no historical precedent, none. You know, since the end of the Second World War, global peace, as such as it is, has only existed because of one thing, the US Pacific Fleet has guaranteed world shipping lanes. That's it. And, you know, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but the peace that we've had, relative peace, has no historical precedent. 
the the amount of food security and everything else that we've had has no historical precedent. So I, I don't get this quite quite right, but it's the old saying, you know, soft men create hard times, hard times create hard men, hard men create good times. You know, it's yeah. like, hmm. yeah, we are, we are. There's like to do difficult things. You know, I woke up this morning at 3 a.m., I didn't want to wake up at 3 a.m. You know, I just I had a Zoom call to London at 5 and then I had a training ride at 5.30 and I don't do it, you know, I don't hammer myself as such. But I managed, I get it done, you know, like yeah. I don't think everybody has to do that. But anything that's truly self-referential, like we have a culture that's self-referential, we, we filter reality through what's going to make me comfortable, what's expedient. Look at our political class, right? Like it's like... It's like the entire filter is what is expedient, what is useful for me, what can I say that will get me where I want to be. You go back and you read the US founding fathers, you read George Washington, you read Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. They were operating on a completely different paradigm. Hmm. There was a different class of men. So sadly, usually the way this resolves is through suffering. Well, I think the last time we talked, we talked about the lack of statesmen Um at a national level, and I think that's certainly still maybe even more so the case a year later. Well, you know, Plato said the people get the government they deserve yeah. or yeah. the people get the government they tolerate. Mm. Again, for the U.S. founding fathers, you know, they truly believed that the only way you could have a virtuous nation would be if you had virtuous people. So I'm a big believer in what you get at the macro level in a culture is always going to be a reflection of what you get at the micro level. So sometimes the best thing we can do in life is to try as best we can to live heroically and virtuously exactly where we are. Hmm. Um, you know, i got a good friend of mine who's a Commonwealth senator. His job is to be a Commonwealth senator, right? His job is to have the influence that he has in that space. My job is to try and be an influencer in my family. we just got to get on the business of influencing and living virtue exactly where we are. I learned the most important lessons about marriage and family life at the kitchen sink, right? Because for many years I was traveling so much, I was, you know, I'd fly in from Townsville or somewhere crazy at 10 p.m. and I'd get home and we had very young kids at that point. Kids would be wrecked. Karen, the kids would be asleep. Karen would be wrecked. So I'd be doing the dishes at 11 p.m., right? And I would just be praying and thinking that this is the right thing to do. This is the appropriate right thing to do now. That's all we have to do is, man, just do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. That's virtue. Yeah. Just um, And we fail, right? Like I'm not sitting here going, well, I'm telling people this because I've absolutely nailed it. It's like at least I understand the roadmap. Is it fair to say, Jonathan, that if you are not progressing in your life, you're actually going backwards? Yeah, so that's the, the principle, again, from the Greeks of homeostasis, right? So the way I used to explain to people is if you think of your own body as a system, which it is, Blood pressure, heart rate, hormonal levels, they all tend to self, well, they do self-regulate all throughout the day, right? So your blood pressure and your heart rate doesn't tend to wander massively for no reason. So the body is always trying to maintain homeostasis. So the, the first thing is that if we do nothing, the best we can hope for is that we'll get homeostasis, which is we will stay exactly as we are. So the first principle is that. The second principle is, 
you know, uh, I always try and land the plane when I introduce these crazy topics, but it's, it's called the second law of thermodynamics, which is, it, it's a, it's a principle of astrophysics and, and, and uh, physics in general is that energy is always moving from a hotter state to a colder state. So energy is always moving to a colder state unless something reinvigorates the system. So again, to your point, Des, if we don't try to move forward, the best we get is homeostasis. The worst we get is thermodynamics. We go backwards. Yeah. yeah. So the way you deal with that is firstly you recognize it. And the second thing you do is you start to look at the inputs, right? You start to go, well, what am I sowing into my life? What am I bringing into my life? What are the books, the people, the music, the exercise, the food, you know, that is going to move me forward? And again, look, this is the most important thing I'll probably say today. What is the purpose of all of this? Thomas Merton, a US monk who wrote a, a bestseller in the 1950s called The Seven Story Mountain, which is a brilliant book. He said, um, he said, the purpose of life is not self-actualization. He said, the purpose of life is to fully recollect yourself, to know who you are, so you can fully give. So, we live in a moment of this kind of influencer culture, social media, promote yourself, promote yourself, be everywhere. The, gr- the greatest people understand that the purpose of growth, the purpose of avoiding staying where you are going backwards isn't so you can really feel better about yourself. That, that's a byproduct. That's a, that's a bonus. It's so you can love. It's so you can bless the people around you. That's it. That's because that cooperates with, as best I can tell, how the universe is structured. So much in the first half of the show. We're going to take a short break. And, and Jonathan, we're going to come back and, and look at some of the ways that guys listening right now can perhaps investigate what that means for them in their life over the coming weeks. Uh, you're listening to Momentum all around Australia. MomentumAustralia.org is our website. We'll be back with Jonathan Doyle in just a moment. Stay tuned. Well, welcome back to Momentum. Uh, Tim and Des with you. And our special guest is uh, Jonathan Doyle. Uh, topic is confrontation or avoidance and we well we really set the scene in the first half of the show so let's break it down and bring it back to to you listening right now and uh, jonathan you know this idea of confronting something and we use the carl rogers quote to start with growth occurs when individuals confront problems struggle to master them through that struggle develop new aspects of their life capacities and views about life so let's talk about some of the reasons we don't want to do that as men particularly what, what keeps us in our space, in the avoidance space, as opposed to the confrontation space where we confront things on our life and take the challenge of, you know, growing on board? Well, the good news for everybody listening is that, you know, you guys are lucky enough today to have one of the world experts in avoidance on the show. <laughs> well, I'm glad you recognize that. You're talking that about Dez or yourself? <laughs> no, it's actually because, oh, man, I, you know, it's, it's hilarious. When I first saw the show notes about what we'd be discussing, I'm like going like, this is like God's cosmic joke. He's like going, Jonathan, <laughs> let's talk about you for a second. <laughs> because I've always had kind of two gears, right? So I have avoidance. Uh, historically, I've had avoidance and rage. Right. So I will tend to avoid something for a very long period of time. And then if if I'm cornered or I really struggle with something and I feel threatened, I just switch to rage. That's it. I just don't have right. nuance. Um, you know, is that a learned behavior? Is that a you know trauma background with all that stuff? Who knows? Um so I'm a I'm a con- have historically been a consummate avoider 
So why do we avoid? We avoid, I think as men, we tend to avoid because we tend to want to stay in the exact places where we have some form of mastery, right? Hmm. So control and mastery. So we find the things that we can do relatively well. And I want to keep this really positive because I, you know, I've been to men's events over the years where it's just another thing of like, you know, everybody in the room gets spiritually, physically, <laughs> emotionally beaten up. And <laughs> these are adaptive strategies. Avoidance can be, a, you know, as I said in the first part, it can have a, a really adaptive use. You know, we, we tend to want to avoid things that can harm us. So mm. as an initial strategy, it like, makes a lot of sense. Like the downside of avoidance as a meta strategy is that we don't grow. The forms that in how that manifests will be different for all sorts of men. Um, for some, it'll be busyness. Like I got, you know, friends operating at the highest level of global business who just have been outrageously successful and busy for 30 years. And the level of resentment in their family system is off the charts. So they die with the 5, 10, 15, 20 properties. And again, there's nothing wrong with that in that. But there were, there were things undone. So other guys go to booze. Uh, these days, pornography and internet are a huge uh, mm. source for a lot of guys. Um, you know, I think for a lot of guys, pornography and internet becomes an alternative reality, right? You just, that's where you go. You go there for comfort. So I guess what we're looking for is comfort, right? Like what, yeah. what guys are looking for is comfort. Because mm. I think I think life's hard. Like the older I get, I'm, you know, at my age now, still got young kids, business got hammered by COVID. Life is just difficult every day. Like mm. it's just really hard. So for anyone yeah. else out there listening that's experiencing that, <laughs> you're not alone. Um, Jonathan, can I can I interject? And, and the first thing I want to say is you, you, to me, and I'm sure Des would probably say the same thing, you look like someone who does not suffer from avoidance. Like from what I know of you and what you've achieved in your life, there would be that would only be possible if you were able to step out and confront some stuff and grow. So that's the first thing I want to say. So that comes as a shock to me for you to admit that. But then I will also want to talk into the avoidance space. And I think, Des, you were going to mention this before about the, what part of the stopping of us confronting is us self-sabotaging our life for whatever reason. And it sounds stupid that we would do that, you know, but but what what is in some of us where we don't necessarily recognize it as self-sabotaging, but we're actually stopping ourselves. We're actually hindering ourselves from the growth and, and pushing us back into avoidance for whatever reason. It's the great question, isn't it? It's like, why would we do something, you know, so that is obviously harmful or retardant in the sense of it's retarding us from growth? Why do we do it? So I have read endless numbers of books on self-sabotage, um, Firstly, I'd say to everybody, it's incredibly common. So I coached an executive a little while ago who's looking after a, a peak body in an industry sector. And, you know, this person was looking after, you know, billions. And it was just stunning. They were talented and gifted and just racked with self, self-sabotage you know, lack of you know security. So the first thing that can be helpful to all of us is to know that you would be amazed how many people struggle with this. Yeah. Um, I used to say to audiences, you know, why is like half of Hollywood addicted to something, right? 
Like, wouldn't you just, you've made it. Like, you're at the pinnacle, you know. Um, Why do we sabotage? The the simplest answer is it's it's a fear-based response. It's that we assume that there'll be a level of success, uh, which links to imposter syndrome, that that we will be discovered, Mm. that we will get to a level and all of a sudden everybody will discover that we're really inept. You know, somebody emailed me today, a senior government guy, he's got to speak to 100 people tomorrow. And they're just terrified. They're just terrified. Like they're just, and I'm, so I'm going to call them after this and and just give them some help. But I'm like, what is it? It's this fear. It's this innate sense that we are not enough, that we will be found out, that we will be exposed as inadequate, incapable, and it scares the hell out of us. I think it's got deep ontological roots, like wherever people are at in their faith journey. If you go back to the Genesis story in the Bible. And this is where people like Jordan Peterson are so good because he says it doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. The biblical stories have had a vast influence on the world. And he said, and his thesis is that no human could have written them, right? They're just too profound. Like you go to Genesis, of all the things that could be in that story, why is it two people who are suddenly terrified of being naked? Why is it that their great fear is that they've suddenly been uncovered and somebody now knows that they've been up to something. So these <laughs> things are very human. Yeah. They're very deep. So the question is, how do we overcome them? I would offer an initial thought that usually suffering will do it. If you suffer for long enough, suffering is really relative. I would probably think that I've had a, an absolute smorgasbord buffet of suffering in my life, but there could be people listening if we sat down and compared notes they could be worse. Suffering will tend to do it. If you suffer enough, you'll begin to either become hateful and resentful at reality itself, or you'll soften and begin to accept your own brokenness and limitations. Hmm. The way out of this is really, it's like all of these really human complex things. The way out is really simple. And for what it's worth, if I can offer a practical example I don't know, I talked about this in the last show, but when I spoke in the US for the first really major global keynote that I did, I had 10,000 people in the room in uh, in St. Louis. And just before I went on stage, Karen, my wife, leaned across to me and asked me, she goes, she goes, you nervous? And I said, um, I said, it's the strangest thing. I said, I'm actually not. Now, I come from a background of, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, massive lifelong problems with anxiety, less, much less so these days. So I'm somebody that used to have panic attacks, right? Why? Because most of the time I was afraid that if I got up on stage, there would be people in the room smarter than me and they might have questions that I would not be able to answer and I would be exposed as a fraud. Hmm. And then I was afraid that I'd just have a panic attack and not be able to breathe properly. So it's one of God's cosmic jokes. What do you do with a guy with a panic disorder? Well, you give him a job as an international speaker, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Long story short, what happened to me that day in St. Louis was as I walked up there, the sheer weight of the years of suffering and anxiety were just at that point impossible to bear a second longer. So I got to a point where I just went, if I crack here, if I collapse on stage and pass out or have a panic attack or completely destroy my keynote and ruin it, you know, I just, 
I sort of said to God, I said, if you've brought me all this way to do this to me, I as weird, I don't get it, but I don't care anymore. I'm done. Like I just cannot suffer like this anymore. And I promise you at that exact moment, something just shifted. It was the one of the one or two key moments in life where I just gave up. I can't sustain the weight of trying to be something for other people. And I gave in. And at that exact moment, there was a grace and an experience that I'll take to my grave. It'll be one of the one or two key experiences in my life. I gave the most utterly phenomenal keynote that changed my professional life. And I'll just say to people that at that moment, something was operating through me and it was extraordinary. So long story short, again, we, we self-sabotage because we're afraid and we're afraid because we don't want to be found out as inadequate. So we don't risk and we stay small because we're afraid. But if we accept that about ourselves and find that courage, you have to have some courage, then you may fail. But if, if you can do it, on the other side of it is something really quite extraordinary. Um, and look, all I'm learning at this stage is my whole life arc, my whole life curriculum. I read a writer years ago that said that we're all here to learn a particular curriculum in life. It's individual to us. Is it really about control and surrender? So, and COVID has forced me into a situation again of really awful surrender. And so I'm reading this phenomenal French spiritual writer at the moment called Jacques Philippe. And he said that, you know, so many of us don't have a lived experience of the providence of God. We, we just don't think that God or the universe is going to show up for us. So we, we manipulate reality, we control reality, or we avoid it through something else. But if you take the leap, yeah, the question is you just got to You've got to know what your leap is. This is what I'm working on today. So basically this 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 discussion today is just me working through my issues for the, for the audience. Is that so good? Sometimes you just have to take the leap and, and all you have to, what you have to figure out, the real question is what is the void you're meant to jump into? What is the what is the area? And I was riding my motorbike home today and I'm thinking, what am I afraid of? What am I what am I trying to control? What am I not ready to jump into? And I think if you begin to pray through those questions. The answers will come. They won't come instantly, but they will come. Whew, that was a lot. Yeah, that was a lot, but there's some good stuff in there. Um, and I think I think the reality is that a lot of it is just fear-based, right, for a lot of us listening right now. Uh, fear of making a fool of ourselves, fear of being exposed. You talked about the imposter syndrome there as well. Jonathan, in the, in the last few moments that we've got, um, a couple of things to leave the guys with. And... Um, I think that to start the journey for a lot of guys, let, let me ask you this then. What would be some identifying things in, in men's lives listening right now, right? What would be some patterns or things that they can identify in certain areas of their lives that would indicate that they're avoiding as opposed to confronting? What should they be looking for to go, hey, well, I, I think I'm doing all right in this, but I'm not really sure, or, or I, this is obvious. But when we look at our lives, what might be we looking for that might indicate that we're choosing the avoidance over confrontation? Well, I think al almost everybody listening to you phrase that question already knows the answer. <laughs> <laughs> for most of us, the minute we hear that as men, we're like, yep. Um, the classic ones are addictions. So uh, the greatest thing I ever heard about addictions was 
um, three words, drugs, medicate pain. So you look for the addictions in your life, whether it's booze, time-wasting, pornography, gaming addiction, something worse, something heavier, who knows, right? Mm. So you start with the addictions. You look for the how do you identify it as an addiction? Um, uh, you need increasing amounts of it over time, and it's got a negative personal or social, uh, social consequence. So it's harming you or it's harming your social system. So one of the first places out is addiction. So I, one of my brothers was struggling with addiction for many years. He was a high functioner and uh, got himself sorted out, you know, after a major disaster and just a different cat, you know, totally different guy. So a lot of times for men, the other side of addiction is a really new freedom, right? Um, hmm. So that's the first stuff. Look for addiction um, and then look for classic avoidance patterns like busyness, like I'm too busy to have X conversation. Um, I'm too busy to make this phone call. I don't want to have this difficult conversation or, um, and this is me, right? I could put my hand up and say, I just get busy and distracted and, and sort of check out through that kind of avoidance. Addiction, avoidance, areas of major conflict. So in relationships like marriage, if there's really major conflict areas, um, often that can be an invitation to some kind of reflection and growth. Um, Key signalers like depression and anxiety. You know, depression has multiple layers, right? Physical or, you know, all sorts of things. But often I think if people ask themselves the crazy question, are we allowed to be happy? You know, what, what would it take for us to be happy? Yeah. Um, and is, is it possible to be happy? So on the other side of all these things is remember, for everyone that's had kids or if you can remember when you were a child, remember all that potential that was in a child before the world got to us, right? Before, before we all got beaten up, <laughs> we had, yeah, we had, um, we had my son's birthday party here on the weekend. He's still a young kid and kids still play. They still enjoy life. They still mm. prepared to be silly and to do so. Freedom is on the other side. It's why movies like Braveheart are still popular because it's freedom. It's yeah. some kind of freedom. Um, yeah, Tim. So that's that's all I got. I think. Um, and then, look, if, if you're struggling with some of these things, I would say a couple of basics. You really got to seek help. Doesn't need to be dramatic. I've got a spiritual director in Colorado. I've got a few good priests that I see. I've got two or three. I got I got two incredible friends. So I want to encourage every man here, you've got to put time into friendships. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be conscious. It's got to be deliberate. So this, you know, a few weeks ago, me and these two guys ended up at one of the guys' coast house. And, my, and one of them is super busy, public figure, super busy, and just really stressed out. And it's the first time the three of us have got together for a very long time. Um, all the wives and kids had stayed back in town, and so it was the three of us. And... Mm. We had a huge fire, we had a couple of drinks, we had some really good food, and we ended up talking like 2 a.m. Mm. So if you don't have one or two good men that you can tell the truth to, you've got to have it. Hmm. Mushrooms grow in the dark. Yeah. You, you've got to have a couple <laughs> of men. So for every guy listening today who's struggling with anything, text someone, ring someone, and say, hey, you know, and just set it up right. Like you're not, you're not just going to jump into heavy stuff straight away. So set it up, set it up intelligently. Go out somewhere to eat or 
you know, we've got a big fireplace here in the house, our outdoor one, and half the time if you just light a fire, yeah. um, not during the middle of summer in bush, but if you light <laughs> a fire somewhere, you put a bunch of guys around a fire, yeah. give them enough time, anything's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, that's exactly that's right. And you know, one of the things that we've said about um, men and men's ministry is that find a friend before you are in strife, yeah. because you'll never find that good friend when you are in strife. Yeah, and, and Des, as you know so well, you know, for everyone listening, like this doesn't always end well. You can do some real damage. You know, men can do things or say things that can't be undone. Hmm. What you've just said so true, Des, like an ounce of prevention is, you know, worth a pound of cure, right? Like you blow up your marriage or you, you know, you hit your girlfriend or you crash a car because you're drunk, like that stuff can be very hard to undo. Hmm. If, you know, if people are struggling, it's a text message. You just pick up a telephone and just text someone and say, hey, can we meet next Tuesday and tell the truth? Just have the courage to tell the truth. And if and if if a man tells the truth to a close friend, his friend can't handle it. Well, yeah, you know, that wasn't the friend you needed. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, Jonathan. There, as always, when we talk, there's so much in the the half an hour or thereabouts that we get from you. Um, but I love the the overall messaging at the end there, which is really at the heart of momentum, which is get connected and have conversations. And really, that's what we've been doing today with Momentum Australia all around Australia. We thank you for tuning in. And hopefully you've uh, got a bunch of stuff there you can take away from the show. Jonathan, as always, man, yes. really appreciate you having on your show, man. It's been great. Thank you for your time. Well, you two, you're t- becoming two of my favourite humans. So it's, uh... <laughs> man, that says, says something about your friendships. <laughs> <laughs> it was a choice of... Uh, of, uh, you know, going up into arsenic hour with my exhausted wife and kids, but I am on my way. So I was, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and go and play super dad and do some, do a rescue mission now. Well, that about wraps up this week's show. My thanks again to our special guest, Jonathan Doyle. Now, if you'd like to hear previous episodes of the show, uh, you can put in Momentum Australia into your favorite podcast platform and uh, you'll find the show and you can check out all of the previous episodes there or go to our website, MomentumAustralia.org. Uh, you can check out previous episodes, of course, find out a bit more about Des and I and what the show hopes to achieve. Leave us some feedback, maybe leave us a question. And if you feel inclined to financially support Momentum, we are a not-for-profit ministry. We exist through the generosity of our supporters and we go all around the nation impacting men's life through this radio show. And if you'd like to contribute towards doing that, knowing that you have a part to play in keeping the show on the air and each week sowing good stuff into men's lives, you can financially support us at MomentumAustralia.org. Des and I would be so, so grateful to have your support. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. Looking forward to catching you again next week for the next episode of Momentum. Until then, you look after yourself. Take care. God bless. You've been listening to Momentum a show that helps men succeed in life. For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.